collecting taxes. Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up, left everything behind, and followed him. Then Levi threw a great banquet for Jesus in his home. A large number of tax collectors and others sat down to eat with them. The Pharisees and their legal experts grumbled against his disciples. They said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners, to change their hearts and lives. The word of God for the people of God. play with the technical device here real quick because uh, all of a sudden I'm out of battery. For those of you that like for me to speak up, which is I think almost everybody, I probably got to put this on. came from. There we go. Is that a little better? It is loud. But I'll give you a little history on where it came from. It actually began in the Catholic tradition. It was an Italian or a Latin phrase that was in the Metazio Christi. We translated it into English and we asked the question, what would Jesus do out of that? To imitate Christ, what would it mean for us to do that? We had to look and see what Jesus would do in his life. John Wesley, our our own founder of Methodism, picks up on this idea and his understanding of going on to Christian perfection. He was asking what Jesus would do and then how we, as Christ's servants, would imitate that in our own lives. In 1891, Charles Spurgeon, the English evangelist, picked up on this phrase and he used it over and over in a particular sermon that he preached that year. And about five years later, a guy by the name of Charles Sheldon wrote a book titled In His Steps, and the subtitle to his book was, What Would Jesus Do? And he asked that kind of question as well. But then for for some odd reason in our tradition, that that phrase went missing for about a hundred plus years. It just kind of lay dormant or so until the early 1990s when a a Christian youth worker picked up on the phrase and then began to promote it to others in his youth group, but he paraphrased it down to, anybody remember? WWJD. And then he put it on little bracelets, little leather bracelets and plastic bracelets, and kids started wearing that around, and we began to once again ask, what would Jesus do? So we thought about this, you know, what what would it look like now, some uh, about 20 years later, what would Jesus do in 2017? What would be the activities of Christ if he were alive today and in our world, what would Jesus do? And one of the things that, that I think Jesus would still do is he would still invite others to go on a journey with him, to come and follow, to walk with him. Now, I'm convinced of the power of positive things in our lives. Positive experience, positive movements. They're like magnets. People are drawn to things 
that are positive in our world, that are happening and have a positive nature. And when we experience those things, we share it with other people because we want them to come and experience these wonderful, joyful, positive things that are going on in our lives. I think that's something that's missing an awful lot in our society. There's kind of a desperation today of people trying to find the good, the positive to experience and to inhabit, right? But when you think about these positive things, we know that it draws people together and it creates a shared bonding in that moment. An excitement around the things that are good and that are positive. About a, about a decade ago, Margaret and I had one of those kinds of experiences with a, a group of other folks, uh, ten couples, and uh, we went on a, a cruise together. So we all went and had this shared experience. We decided to go to Miami a, a day early before we left on the cruise. We stayed at a hotel on, in South Beach that's called the Richmond. And if you've ever been there, it's a wonderful Art Deco revived hotel. It's beautiful. It's right on the beach. So we all rushed up to our rooms. We dropped off our bags. We put on our swimming suits and we ran out the back of the hotel and jumped in the surf. And we were all, you know, there's 20 some odd people out here bobbing in the surf together in this group. It looked a little odd, to be honest with you. But it was fun. We had a great time together. The next morning, we, we had a little bit of time before we had to catch a, a big fare uh, bus to, to get down to the port. So we walked across the street, went in a little bit into the village area of Miami, and we found a small shop that served breakfast. And we all sat out together in this kind of common space and had breakfast together. We got on board on the cruise, and we did lots of things together as a group. We ate dinners together. We relaxed by the pool together. We sang karaoke together. Which is kind of interesting, because some of us can sing. Others of us probably should not try that. But we watched shows together. But I also remember some of the excursions that we took. So when we got to ports, we got off ship, and we did some other things together. One of the first things that we did was is we went out to this small area where they feed stingrays. And you put a little piece of squid on your palm of your hand, you stick it out, and the stingray just glides right over it. <coughs> I've tried that once. I will only try that once in my life. I probably won't ever do that again. But the other thing that we did was we ziplined through the rainforest in Roatan, Honduras. We tendered into Belize City. We took a two-hour bus ride, walked for an hour carrying an inner tube, and then once we got to this lazy little stream, we all got in a group and we lazily floated down a stream that went through caves in the interior of Belize. Our last port of call was Cozumel. We chartered as a group a catamaran, and we went snorkeling off the coast. Now, while we were snorkeling, we saw a lot of beautiful fish and everything like that. But one of the fun things was we saw this big school of mackerel. And it was just kind of swimming along the bottom of the ocean area there. And you know what was following that mackerel? Not a shark, but close, a barracuda. He was following right along. But the fun thing was, is he was not interested in any of us. It was almost lunchtime, and he was following lunch right along behind, right? If you think about it, it's fun. All these memories that we have of these kinds of things, the details that you remember from these very positive experiences that you share with other people, the wonder of it, and how it draws people closer to one another, how it creates this kind of excitement and this bonding that you cherish forever and ever. And then to come home 
and tell others the fun experiences that you had, to share your stories. See, that's, that's what we humans do. We share our stories, right? Especially the positive one, ones that we have. Now, I, I know as a church, many of you, you have your own kind of separate experiences of this yourselves, the wonderful moments where you have enjoyed aspects of life. But even as a church community, we have that kind of shared positive experience as well, particularly when you think about the number of international mission trips we as a church have taken. In our recent history, we have a collection of 14 different mission trips that you all have been on. You've been to places like Cuba. Ghana and Nicaragua and Costa Rica, just to name a couple of them. You've traveled long distances together. You've eaten together. You've slept in close quarters together, right? You've worked hard together. You have connected with indigenous people. You have bonded with one another. You've created memories that you share with one another, that you share with your spouse, or you may even share with your children. You have built up the body of Christ through camaraderie and devotions and just being in union in your purpose and your mission. And I'm pretty confident that when you came back from your early mission trips, you took an opportunity to share the positive, wonderful experience that you had with someone else, and you probably even invited them to go on the next one with you, right? Because that's what we did. We invite people to join in on the experiences that we find to be positive in our own lives, the things that we are passionate about, that we are excited about. Think with me for a moment, the things that you've experienced in your lives, the positive, wonderful, joyful things that you have invited someone else to come and experience with you. I think the beauty of the story of Jesus is is that he was one who invited others to go on a journey, a journey that was loaded with excitement. It was something new that was happening in the life and the times of his people, especially a people who had almost lost hope in all things, and especially in God. Now Jesus is there inviting them to something positive and something new. But when you read these stories, you have to kind of carefully read them, because in many ways the Gospels paint Jesus as kind of inert. You very rarely ever get his emotions in the story. They don't put those things in there, right? Very Seldom do we see him beyond being kind of neutral in the story. Yes, there are the occasional moments. We know that Jesus has compassion for the suffering crowds. We see his anger at those who are the money changers in the temple. We see despair over Jerusalem and the one moment where he wept over his friend Lazarus when he was told that he had died. But for the most part, Jesus just kind of seems like an emotionless character in these stories. No tone of voice. No body posture, no presence is is annotated for us to be able to understand. So what we do is we read our own emotions into Jesus in these moments, especially when it comes to Jesus and his conversation with the temple authorities. We read kind of a polemical view into that rather than maybe Jesus being invitational. We read Jesus as being snarky with them instead of someone who might also be inviting them. So what if we assign a different tone this morning? Rather than reading our own polemical negative into it, what if we see Jesus as one who is speaking to multiple people in this story and for every one of them, he's inviting them to something new, to experience something new in their lives. 
We know that the, the vignette starts with one person, of course, Levi. Levi was a tax collector. Levi sat at a kiosk. He sat at a booth in the common marketplace of the city. It's an unnamed town somewhere on the Sea of Galilee. Everybody knows what his booth is for. When you walk through town and you walk through the marketplace and you go by the tax collector's booth, you know what that person is there for. To get your taxes. To collect them from you. No matter who you are, rich or poor, that was the job of the tax collector. And as you can imagine, people in his line of business weren't exactly highly regarded in their society, right? It's kind of like folks who are from the IRS. Sorry, Linda. But you don't tell people that very often, right? Because people think it's all about the tax collecting, right? So Jesus comes upon Levi, who we also know as Matthew, and he's just sitting there doing his job. He's collecting the taxes. And Jesus doesn't come up to Levi and scold him for collecting taxes, especially from the working poor. No, Jesus says to him, come, follow me. He extends to him an invitation. Now, evidently, Levi has heard Jesus' reputation, knows of Jesus. His reputation has preceded him because Levi gets up from his booth and follows Jesus. He leaves his really lucrative job to start following this wandering rabbi, right? Somewhere along the line, though, in this encounter, Jesus has made enough of a favorable impression upon Levi that Levi throws a party at his house. He invites all of his sinner friends, his other tax collectors' friends, to come and join him and Jesus and the disciples. And they sit down and have dinner together. Think about the power of that. Jesus invites Levi to come follow him, and Levi invites his friends to come and meet this rabbi. The power of invitation. But then we know that the vignette shifts, right? The religionist and those who are are the ones that express their legalisms, are standing outside with the disciples grumbling according to the story. Because for them, in their training and their understanding of the law, tax collectors are sinners, they are reprobates, and rabbis and disciples don't associate with sinners. Because that might make them sinners. Right? And everybody knows that you can't have a positive religious movement built on sinners. Or can you? Right? Jesus challenges their view of the world, particularly the Pharisees. And he says to them something simple. He says the kingdom of God has to start with sinners. Or, in other words, doctors don't tend to the healthy. A doctor comes to tend to the sick. It's got to begin somewhere with Jesus' invitation. And I see in this story Jesus not only inviting Levi to come follow but the Pharisees as well. The ones who have the salvific message of the Torah, who can apply this to their community in a way that is healing and makes one whole. He's inviting them to come and follow just as well as he's inviting Levi and Levi's friends. If they will answer the call and go on the journey. See, I picture Jesus doing something Rather unique, he's turning an exclusionary social practice that divides everyone into a positive experience for all, anyone who would come on this journey, because Jesus has the power to forgive people of their faults and their failures and to present to them a new opportunity to come. I see Jesus hanging out in the spaces where these sinners are, 
Jesus doesn't wait for them to come to him. Jesus journeys to them so that he might invite them to come and journey with him. The commentators make an interesting point for us this morning, especially regarding human nature and, and how we look at one another. We humans have a tendency to look at a person's past and their present, and then we pigeonhole their future based upon where they currently are in life and have been. We make an assessment of folks, right? So let me give you an example. Margaret and I have a family member who's a deeply troubled young adult. And and it's really hard for us to not assign to her a troubled future based upon the fact that she's had a troubled past and present, right? It's hard for us to think about a positive future for this person. It's easy for us to imagine and pigeonhole her into more trouble because that's been her past and her present. But Jesus does the exact opposite. He doesn't pigeonhole us based upon our past and present. He pigeonholes us based upon the possibility of our future, a possibility of a positive future in Him. And so He extends an invitation for all to come and to follow Him. He views people differently than we do. He views people based upon the salvific work of God and the grace that God wants to extend. So in this story, God takes Levi who has responded to Jesus' invitation, through grace begins to transform his life, and from that experience, that positive experience, Levi invites others to come and journey as well. The invitation and the response. What would Jesus be doing in 2017? I think Jesus would still be holding out an invitation, an invitation to all people to come and follow him, to journey with him. To get out of where they find themselves stuck in their social sickness or in their soul sickness and to come and realize that in Christ there is grace. This can be a positive new life for each one of us. An opportunity to journey into the goodness of God's future and the chance to bring someone else along with us. I think about the fact that today's All Saints Day. And you think about Larry and Virginia and Doug and Homer and Anne, those wonderful names that we we read this morning, I realized something. Somewhere in their lives, someone invited them to experience the wonderful work of Christ. Someone gave them an invitation to come and follow Christ. None of us learn about Christ ex nihilo. There's your Latin phrase for the day. It means out of nothing. It takes someone else sharing the good news of Christ with us for us to be engaged in this invitation, to hear the invitation. And the call is for us to do the same, to follow their faithful example, to be ones who also herald in the world the good news, the invitation that is for all people to call and to welcome others, to hear the invitation of Christ that is for us and to call others to come and respond as well. So as you go forward from, from this moment, I hear there's, hope there's just a couple of things that you take away from today. To be reminded that we all have experienced wonderful, memorable, positive things in our lives. And we, we like sharing the stories about those. And that Jesus brings a new and positive experience to the world. Levi was invited to experience it. The Pharisees and others were invited to experience it. And Jesus continues to invite others on this journey today. But he does throw so through us the body of Christ. 
Those of us who have experienced the goodness of God's grace, we now become the ones who carry on Jesus' mission and ministry to invite others to come as well. So here's your invitation for today. I want to ask you just a simple question. Who in your life could you share the good news with today? A friend, an acquaintance, a family member, a neighbor, someone that you know that's life maybe isn't going in the direction that they hoped for or really wanted, that goodness seems to be missing from their lives. Who's that one person that you could invite to come and experience the goodness of God in Christ Jesus? Or maybe for yourself to think about where you're at on your own personal journey. Because maybe today it's kind of neutral for you. And you need to step into the new invitation of Christ to experience something new and positive for yourself. That's what I hope that you experience this morning as we come to our time of communion. That maybe this might be an opportunity for you to, number one, experience the newness in Christ that is good and that is positive, or maybe to hear the opportunity to invite someone else. As you experience Christ this morning in the body and the blood, that it might call and send you forth to the world to share that with others. So I want to